We're preaching a, a three-week series on money. We're in part two. If you missed last week, it's online on our website. You can listen to it, byronumc.org. And it's also an iTunes podcast. And so if you want to figure out how to download it, Jesse is our resident uh, podcast expert. And so he can tell you how to get it on your phone if you want to do that. And so I listen to myself every week now. And I tell you, I am just fan- fantastic. Wow. I mean, what a blessing. Woof. No, it's its, it's its own form of torture listening to yourself speak, isn't it? Have you ever done this? It's, it's hard. But um, we're in week two, and um, I, I love this passage. Jesus has this amazing ability to tear a, tell a parable right off the cuff when someone asks him a question. A lot of his parables are told in response to a question. And this one is amazing. But the question, oftentimes we don't think about the question. Check this out. Jesus is teaching and healing and there's a crowd. And someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Okay, I, Y'all must not have heard that. There was a crowd of people and someone hollers out, Hey Jesus, will you tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me? I hope that none of you today will do that to me. I hope no one will be so bold as to stand up and ask me to be a legal arbiter. Larry, have you ever had to arbitrate in a family dispute? I know you haven't, right? I mean, but it happens, doesn't it? At my last church, back when I was a young pastor, because <laughs> now I'm old, but back when I was young, I, I had to do a funeral for this sweet lady in the church. Guys, I kid you not, she had two daughters. And at the funeral... They started fighting verbally on the way into the funeral. Like right behind the preacher as we're walking down the aisle. They're jawing at each other. And at the graveside, a, after I left the graveside, a fist fight broke out. And the police had to be called. You can't make this up. One day I'm going to write a book, okay? You guys might be in it, okay? I'm telling you. But uh, it's true. I had a fist fight happen at a funeral. You know why? This very thing right here, y'all know as well as I do, money, even in a good family, it can, it can cause so much pain, can't it? And so I, I want to read this passage today because I don't care how good you are. Money has a way of pulling on us, and that's what's happening here. So I invite you to stand as you're able in body or in spirit for the reading of God's holy word from the gospel according to St. Luke. Chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. Hear God's word. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, I shall not touch that with a ten-foot pole. Wait, that's not, sorry, that's not what it says. Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out! Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. 
And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right, a few disclaimers as we always have to do with money, right? Money is not evil. Some people wrongly misquote Jesus. Money is not evil. Money's good. Money's fine. Or maybe I should say this, money's neutral. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, says Jesus. So having money isn't bad. In fact, I'd say having money's good. We know for a fact now, research, psychological studies will show, you know, they say money can't buy happiness. Not true. Now, there is a certain level of money past which it doesn't make you any more happy, but there is a level, I can't remember the amount, but if you don't have a certain level of resources, you are measurably, psychologically more stressed. Okay, so the reality is money is important. Like the Zig Ziglar quote says, money isn't everything, but it's kind of like oxygen. You can't live without it. So, not bad to have money. The problem is what we do with our money and what it does to us. Um, now, this parable bothers me. And I get that it's like this shocking parable, and I probably don't have to overemphasize the point of it. But here's my issue with it. The guy is a farmer, and he gets a bumper crop. There's no refrigeration at this time. What else is he supposed to do? Just let it go to waste? Let the bugs eat it? Give it away to a bunch of sorry people who don't work for their grain? They'll be coming back next year, won't they? I mean, what he does, you know what he does? He does exactly what you would do. When you get a raise, hopefully you get a raise or... How many of you want to have a, a, a good financial year? Any, how many of you want to have a bad financial year? Raise your hand, right? You want, this is what we want. We want at the end of this year to go, hey, look at there. It was better than I expected, right? Yes. And then what are we going to do? Now, yeah, I know some of you are generous, and you might give a little bit away. You might even give a lot away. But you're going to use some for you. This is what we want. We want enough so that I can do what I want. That's the whole reason we go to work, isn't it? Oh, I just love work. I just, retirement, no, that's not for me, no. And I don't care how much I get, I just enjoy labor. Um, and, di- and please don't get me wrong. Saving and planning are very important. It's biblical how you prepare for your future, your family's future, that is a part of it. So please don't misunderstand this. But like I said last week, these sermons are drawing from some great work that Pastor Andy Stanley has done in teaching on stewardship. And one of the phrases that Andy came up with, which I am going to steal today, 
He says that the guy who builds bigger barns makes an assumption. And I don't have to tell you about assumptions, do I? And the assumption that this guy makes is called the consumption assumption. The consumption assumption. And what does that mean? What's the consumption assumption? Here it is. You ready? Y'all with me? I know you're all studying the text on your phones. I can see that quite clearly. Or... All right, there we go. All right, cool. The consumption assumption is this, that everything that comes to me, all the money that comes to me, whether it's through my own hard work or through luck or through the generosity of others or through the hard work of previous generations, that's the four ways you can get money. Your own hard work, luck, uh, generosity of somebody else giving it to you, or the hard work of prior generations, and it comes to you through an inheritance. There is a fifth way of getting money, but that's called stealing, and that's covered in a different sermon. We're not addressing that today, all right? Those are the four ways that God blesses. It's fine to get money through hard work. It's fine to have a, just be lucky and something went well for you, an investment or what have you. It's fine to um, have someone be generous to you. Great. And it's fine to have parents and grandparents who live godly lives and left you an inheritance. What a blessing. But this is the consumption assumption. The consumption assumption says this, that what comes to me is to be used by me and it's ultimately for me. It is for my consumption. And this is a sneaky one, isn't it? Because even though you're all Christians, I hope all of you today are Christians, you're at least in church, right? You're trying. And so we've already done the praise God from whom all blessings flow. And we all would tacitly agree that everything we have comes from God. But man, when you work hard for that paycheck, it's hard not to slip into the belief that this money is mine. Because I worked for it. I love what Jessica does with the cover of the bulletin. Isn't this great? Mine, 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 mine. Any uh, Finding Nemo fans? Mine, 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 mine. And this one happens to me and to you, right? Your bank account is your money. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. I worked for it. And, okay, fine. You want to know whether you're a victim of the consumption assumption? Let's talk about taxes. <laughs> Finally, you guys look up. It's amazing. I can talk about God all day long. You're just buried in the pew. I say taxes. I, it, I, no kidding. 20 of you looked up just now. Why, would you cry, cry? Am I right? I'm not lying. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Here's the thing. And again, I'm not getting into your... T that's complicated in and of itself. But here's the thing. When the question of taxes comes up, how many of us get a little bit frustrated over them taking my money? I get it, but it, it, it reveals the level of which you think it's yours. And the struggle is, like, for instance, a lot of times, like, if somebody hears a message on tithing, and so they decide, I'm going to tithe, a lot of times they'll go, but pastor, am I supposed to tithe before taxes or after taxes? And I have a thought on that. Of course, part, partly what I want to say is, 
Well, it's probably more than you're giving now either way, right? I mean, you know, but, but sorry, I shouldn't say that. All right, but, but here's the thing. What I want to say, though, is when you think in those terms, you're probably already drifted into the mindset that it's really mine. And I'm doing God a favor by giving it to him. When actually you and I, the point of this parable is we are not the owners. We are stewards. We are managers. And this is, God, it's hard to hang on to this idea for all of us. It's hard to remember all of the wealth, all of the stuff, all of the possessions, all of the life that we have, even if I worked hard for it, at the end of the day, what does this parable say? One day there will be an accounting. And it never belonged to you. And so today's message is to go, Please, what does he say? You fool. You're a fool. You thought that your wealth and your life was all for you. Some of it is for you. That's the hard part, right? Like we talked about last week. God blesses us. Does he want us to enjoy it? Yes. Does he want us to save for our future? Yes, but is it all for us? No, and there's the rub. Any Civil War buffs? Any Civil War history buffs? I am not, I'm not one of those guys that knows this stuff like crazy, so, but some of you, you've been waiting for years for a Civil War illustration. Here you go, okay? <laughs> Historians argue over the greatness or the awfulness of a general called General McClellan. Anybody studied General McClellan? I mean, they really do. Like, he was either one of the greatest generals in U.S. military history, or, what I believe, he was one of the worst. And he was a victim of a wrong assumption. He was the Union general, and he amassed this incredible army. He was an incredible general. He, he got on the level with his troops. His, church, his troops were very loyal to him. And he amassed more and more. And the Civil War, I don't think anyone expected how intractable the conflict would be. And it went on for years and years. And it was very bloody. And the nation was ripped apart. And we were killing each other. And it was, it was really bad. And so General McClellan's army just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But they don't seem to do anything. They don't seem to engage. So finally, President Lincoln goes to where the army is stationed. And they're in this valley, and you can see this vast army that General McClellan has built. And President Lincoln, from a high point of observation, is standing there with just one of his trusted advisors. And Lincoln, y'all know, was a very stoic man. And he's looking out over this army, and he says to his advisor, what is this that you see? And the advisor says, why, Mr. President, this is the great army of the Potomac. And Lincoln's quiet for several minutes. And then he says, why, no, this is General McClellan's bodyguard. And then he goes back in his tent. <laughs> and a few weeks later, General McClellan was relieved of his command. 
what McClellan was great, but he made one fatal error. He, he was doing everything right, amassing this army, but he forgot what it was for. And he thought it was for his own protection and status. Do you see the way that illustration works with our lives and our monies? So, I want to give you a... Uh, I want to give you a, a, something to do that maybe will help you and me because we are all, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, this, this parable hits me but squarely between the eyes. You know, I, I want to do well. I want to take care of my family just like you. And yet there's that drift into the consumption assumption and thinking it's all for me. And Andy Stanley says that there is a force in the universe. There is a force that you and I can tap into. And this force can either make the consumption assumption worse or it can make the consumption assumption far better. It has the power to help us with our money or it has the power to destroy us. And that force is called awareness. Awareness. Um, several years ago, Shelly and I, we needed a cell phone charger. Anybody ever broken a charger or needed one. We needed a cell phone charger. We happened to be in Savannah. We were customers of Sprint at the time. Does anybody in this room not have a cell phone? Okay, Becky is, needs to be the preacher because she is the only wise person in this room. But most of us have given in to this device, right? And this is what's amazing. This is the consumption assumption. In years past, we would use something, our grandparents would use something until it wore out, right? And they would say things like, these kids today, well, I knew how to sharpen a chainsaw. I didn't have to go buy a new one, right? But here's the thing. Most of us don't use a phone until it wears out. We don't call it wearing out. You know what they call it now? Oh, Mr. Carruth, did you know you're eligible for an upgrade? No, I didn't. Tell me, an upgrade? <laughs> How about that? <laughs> yes, and then what does this new phone do? The iPhone XYZ47 will do your taxes and cook you breakfast. All right, so Shelly and I, we're at Sprint. Shelly is much more frugal than I am, and Shelly says, and I agree, we're going in the store, we're going to buy a charger, and we're going to leave. Right? We go in, and we agree, like we like, in Jesus' name, yes, let's do it. We go into the Sprint store, and we walk out with two new cell phones. Right? And, and here's why. Oh, and this is why. It's that power, awareness. We walked in, and this was the deal. They actually did have a really good deal. And it was like, oh my word, we can't pass this up. And our kids are little. And the new phone technology, the camera is so much better. And we need, right? So we become aware of the better camera and of the good deal. And it won't affect our monthly price at all. And why not? So that's the power of awareness. Again, that's nothing bad. I don't, I'm not knocking it if you get a new cell phone. 
What I'm saying is, we did not plan to get new cell phones, but we became aware of something, and that changed our decision. The power of awareness can work in a different direction, too. Not long after that, we got invited to some friends who were involved with Covenant Care Adoption Ministry. Have y'all heard of this? Wonderful Christian ministry that supports birth mothers who want to, I mean, I'm pro-life all the way, and I, I, you know, I want to see more adoptions and all this, but I say that with my lips, but I don't do anything about it. Well, I went to this Covenant Care Banquet Benefit, and we heard this wonderful talk, but then we saw a birth mother stand up and talk about how this ministry supported her financially and emotionally through that, helped her not feel this guilt and shame, helped her to see what she was doing was good. I mean, there's not a dry eye in the house. And then they bring this family up there who was dealing with infertility, and this was a different baby, but they're up there with their baby that they've adopted. But y'all know it takes money, it takes money, to support someone going through this and to navigate the adoption process and the laws. But guys, guess what? I become aware. And suddenly, it's like we go home, and I'm not saying we're great at this, but we go, like, we need to give some money to this. We need to put this on our radar. What, what Could we sell something? Could we have a yard sale? What could we do to help? See, we're not having a yard sale to buy a cell phone. But we become aware of a need that touches our heart. Why? Because it touches God's heart. And suddenly that awareness has the power to move us away from the consumption assumption. Are y'all tracking with this? So as we close today, this is what I want to challenge you to do. Is I, I want to challenge you to become aware of are you a victim of the consumption assumption? Do you think that everything that you earn and everything that's come your way really belongs to you and you get to do whatever you want with it? Because truth is, in this country, we, do, we believe that. It's yours. We believe in individual rights and all that. So, yeah, at the end of the day, it is yours. But the Scripture says that one day, you and I are going to answer for how we lived our life, for what we did or didn't do with the life and the money that God blessed us with. And I want to challenge you, like we talked about last week, there is a scriptural, biblical antidote to the consumption assumption, and it is to be generous. So I want to challenge you to give first. The way to be... The way to make sure that you and I don't get in our ideas that everything that comes to me is for me and it's to be used by me is whatever you get blessed with, don't give an amount. Give a percentage. Because when you give an amount, whatever it is, $20, $100, $5,000, when you give an amount, you typically go, ooh, look at me, I gave $500. $500. And that type of generosity, we typically thank ourselves. But if you will pick a percentage, what does a percentage do? A percentage ties it to the amount you were given. And that kind of giving will tie you to the giver, and it will prevent you, it will help prevent your heart from slipping into the consumption assumption. 
So I, some of you may already be given an amount on a regular basis. I would challenge you to go home and do some math and figure out what percentage am I giving right now. You might be surprised. It might be higher than you think. It might be lower than you think. But know what percentage you're giving. And then maybe you'll say, well, I, I, I need to give more. Obviously, the tithe is 10%, but pick a, even if you say, I can't do 10%, pick a percentage and start there and give it first. And that will help you from drifting into, because all of us are going to want to save some, all of us are going to want to spend some. So the challenge is give first and give a percentage back to God, thanking Him for what He's given to you. So that's one thing, is percentage-based giving. The other thing I want you to do is become a, use that awareness factor. Some of you need to turn down your awareness. Um, how do I say this? Let me look at my notes. Um, leverage the power of awareness. Some of us need to become less aware of the things you need. It used to be that would mean canceling a catalog subscription, right? Those are almost gone now, although I did get an Amazon catalog the other day, which was like going back in time to the Sears catalog, you know, it's like, wow, look at there. But another, for our generation, it might be unfollow. Unfollow some of the social media accounts that are only geared to selling you something and to make you feel you need something that you don't need. Nothing wrong with it. But, especially starting, what, Halloween until the end of the year, you and I are going to be bombarded with messages saying you need this. So what if you and I just decided on front end, I'm going to become less aware of what the culture says I need. You might want to just forward those emails to spam. You know, I don't need a thousand emails from these stores. Just spam, spam, spam. And then what I want to challenge you to do instead is become more aware of the needs that are on God's heart. This is the power. I'm always going to want the new phone. I'm always going to, there's, you know, you all have your thing. Some of you want a new gun. Some of you want a new fishing pole. Some of you want a new wardrobe or new countertops. We all have our thing that we want the new, right? What I want to challenge you to do is, that's fine. Become aware of some of the needs that are on God's heart. How do you do this? Go visit a public school. Ask the administrator or ask one of the good teachers or a counselor, hey, what do y'all need? What do y'all need? I mean, really, like, what are the real needs? Because I, I want my family or I want my church to, to leverage some of what we're doing to help y'all. We're already doing this, son. Go... Some of you know police officers? Go visit. We've got some here today. Praise God. Go ask a police officer. Hey, where is... I know there's probably a lot of people that are sorry and, and they just need to get their life right. But are there people that you know of that the reality is they need some help? And a lot of times your police and your first responders, they know which houses really need some help. Go visit a social worker and say, I know you got privacy laws and all that stuff, but can you just tell me... Where are the needs at? Can you point me in the direction of some real needs? Because I want to make, I don't want to waste my life and at the end of the day be told, congrats on your bigger barns. 
We're going to close with a beautiful song that I'm not super familiar with, but I just love it. And I want to invite us as we close today, um, the altar is open as it always is. And if you need prayer, if you need anointing for healing for you or a loved one, I hope you'll come and let us pray with you. But let's pray now as we prepare to sing. Dear God, thank you so much for your tremendous work in our lives and our, your tremendous generosity to us. And God, I pray that you would help us. I know there's some of us in this room that we're, we're struggling financially. I know in a room this size, there's some people that this message hits hard because the reality is they don't have extra. They, they, we, we are struggling. And so I pray for any of those individuals or families that you will bless them and take care of them and get them out of their financial chaos. I also know there might be many of us that we think we're struggling, but the reality is we've got bigger barns. We, we've, we've got more than we need. And Lord, we, we're thankful. We're thankful for good stewardship and hard work and good earning capacity. But Lord, we don't want to slip into letting that creep into our heart. So God, help those of us who have been so blessed to, to remember you and to look at our life and our finances, not through our eyes, not through our culture's eyes, but through your eyes. Lord, help us all, rich or poor, help all of us to work hard and to save responsibly and spend wisely. And most of all, Lord, help us to give generously so that we never forget where our blessings come from. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand in body or in spirit and let's sing together. The altar is open. As we go today, I just want to say at the end of the day, this is not about money. It's really not about money, it's about life. I want to say I'm so pumped about Mark and Sonia, and I hope you'll come this afternoon at 3 o'clock. We're going to Vincent Valley. We're going to baptize Mark. God has been working. Mark's been a member of this church somehow. He's been a member of this church for years. Y'all know it. But he's never been baptized. And lately, God has been working in his life so powerfully. And he's going to fully surrender and be baptized. And it's awesome. And I also want to say, I hope it's okay. We've had a membership class here recently. And so Tom and Jessica O'Brien have been coming to our church. And they're here. And their son, Ethan is at Lake Joy Elementary in the fourth grade. And they're here, guess why? Because y'all put forth a camp. And so they're looking for a church, and they say, well, let's look at the church that does that camp that Ethan went to. Isn't that cool? So they're going to be joining sometime soon. And then Bob and Laura Moore, uh, not here today, I hope they're doing okay, but Bob and Laura, uh, you know, they've been in this church for years and serving the church, and yet also God's been working powerfully in their life. And they're going to join the church soon. And so I just want to say this as a word to say, be joyful, be glad. It's, what we're doing is not about money. It's about lives being changed. Amen? So let's pray. God, I pray that you would give us the grace to go forth into this week into a world that is <laughs> slaving to the bone to make ends meet and then spending like crazy to try to keep up with the Joneses. And God, may we be different. May you send us forth from this place knowing that money is important, but it's not everything, and that we know about the everything that is found in Jesus Christ. So keep us focused on you, 
And Lord, let us live our lives and let us spend our energy and our money for your glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Go in peace.